You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Nerds! Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Ready to expand your financial game? NerdWallet can coach you on smart strategies like choosing investments, finding your next credit card, and setting a budget that works for you. Score major points towards your summer vacation by learning expert tips for choosing a high-yield savings account and how to build wealth by investing in index funds. Slide into summer with smarter decisions in 2024. Follow NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. For, for, all, things, for, for all things KC, KC, for everything Chiefs, it's always, it's always game day in Kansas City. Now, here's your host, Kayla Kinnearum and Cody Tapp. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to It's Always Game Day in Kansas City. I am your host, Kayla Kinnearum. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, Cody Tapp, and our producer, Nick Schwert. By the way, make sure you like, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Guys, we are celebrating. We had a big win in Vegas over the Raiders, 31-13. That had to feel good, closing out the regular season, yes? Well, that was one of their most complete games of the season, so that part felt good. And I think this entire podcast and everybody else on our show in Kansas City, all all of us were like, I'm not willing to say blowout. Like, I just wasn't willing to say that because as many games this year as I tried to say this game won't be close or shouldn't be, this one felt like it could be. Even with Jared Stidham or whatever the hell was going to happen, I was worried. And instead, Kansas City thumped them. Not just thumped them, but got to 6-0 and in the division. That part of it is maybe the sweetest part of even the in-game stuff. They had their best performance to cap off an undefeated AFC West season in a year in which we would have felt very good about 4-2 and going into the year. So... As far as, it, I mean, the running game worked, the passing game was easy, they got sacks, they got turnovers, the special teams didn't make mistakes. I don't know what else I'm supposed to ask for. They took on a bad Raiders team and beat them handily. Yes, as Cody stated, the Chiefs had their most dominating win of the season on Saturday, beating Vegas 31-13. Guys, what impressed us the most about this Chiefs performance against the Raiders? Nick, I, I think it's, it's, I mean, there's plenty to choose from here. I mean, there is there are options. But I think the number one thing is the dominance from the defensive line up front. This was their most single-handedly, like, as a unit domination. The fact that Chris Jones and George Karloftis are just straight up good for a sack every game really does mean something over these last final weeks. And so when I watched them, the reason why, even though the Raiders moved the ball at times in this game, the reason why they couldn't do it all the time is because they were getting constant pressure. That's what forced those turnovers that I was talking about before. To me, it was the consistency there that was easily the most impressive part of the game, even though I was very impressed with Mahomes, who was, again, not that we make a big deal about it anymore, missing two of his top, what, six targets? Doesn't matter. None of that matters. I know they're not big names, but McCole Hardman was their number three going into the year. He was gone again. It didn't matter. Sky Moore is their number five or six going into the year. Not there. Doesn't matter. But the the defensive the, the domination up front was probably it. Yeah, I mean they kind of they imposed their will, and that was sort of a microcosm of the season, which is that the defensive line has been uh, quietly one of the strengths of this team. But I do think it was the offense based off how they got it. You look at the the final score; they score thirty one points. They finish the game with 
350 yards of offense. They average 6.2 yards per play. I want to talk about that because the Chiefs finished the regular season leading the NFL in yards per play. I know a lot of people want to look at points per game, yards per game, but yards per play to me is the best stat to just tell me like how efficient is your offense? How easily do you move the ball play to play? So that to me, that's more indicative of, uh, of independence of how the game flow is going. Are you sitting on a lead and just trying to run the game late? 6.2 yards per play, which is right around their season average, which would have been the best in the NFL. And they did it by running the ball 28 times. They did it by giving Ronald Jones 10 touches. They did it by having their leading receiver be Justin Watson, who caught just one pass, and it was on the second play of the game. Travis Kelsey had 38 yards. Noah Gray was involved in the offense. Blake Bell got a touch. They did this all season long. I thought, I thought Sunday was, a, in a nutshell, the best of what the Chiefs can do versus any opponent, which is we, don't, we like to force feed Travis Kelsey the ball. We don't need to force him the ball. Everybody's going to be a part of this offense, and we are still going to manufacture offense better than any team in the NFL. We may not have a Tyreek Hill, a Stephon Diggs, a Devontae Adams, but we got a bunch of dudes who all know their role, and it seems like this offense is really sort of getting grounded and comfortable as the postseason arrives. Do you, what, what made you think they were comfortable, Nick? Was it when they did a merry-go-round before scoring a <laughs> touchdown and then having that called back on a penalty and just scoring it anyway? Because like that part of it is just like, not only that, it was like the, sorry to be crass, but this is like the let your nuts hang part, right? Like, ah, we're just going to do whatever we want. And there is absolutely nothing you can do about it. Remember that time you took a little victory lap around our stadium? Well, we're never going to let this group forget that you did that to us because they haven't won a game against Kansas City since they've lost every single game against Kansas City since that moment. And when they're full-blown doing what they call the snow globe, it's like, ah, it's Christmas. I was feeling good. I'm like, that play, watching an entire team do a huge motion circle before scoring a touchdown on you, that is disheartening in the strongest possible sense. I loved it. I love when they do that because, like, people are right. They're like, well, that's showboating or that's disrespectful. I'm like, you're right. Do something about it. Because if not, that's the way these sports work. People do stuff like that. The Raiders stepped in the logo last year. They took their victory lap. Those things are also disrespectful. The Chiefs shut them up. You have a choice. You can shut up the Chiefs or you can just let Kadarius Tony score literally on the next play. So that was your choice. So glad you brought up Snow Globe. That was I love it when there's something that happens that brings people together on Twitter, which has happened a lot this week. And that was one of them. I just reading through everyone's post about that made me so happy. Well, it only works because it works. It only works because even though it got called back, they scored on the play. If you do that play and then uh, McKinnon throws it over Mahomes head or Mahomes dirts the ball, trying to throw it back across field, then it would have, also united everyone, Kayla, and that everyone would have said the Chiefs are getting too cute. Why are they trying this stuff? Just run the damn ball. Just throw the damn ball. We know how this works. If you run a trick play and it doesn't work, we hate it. But if you run a trick play and it produces positive yards, or in that case produces a touchdown, then we call it innovative, right? We say nobody does it quite like Andy Reid, but that's just it. If it works, I don't think it is disrespectful. It's only disrespectful if you don't, if you're not comfortable running it. It's like, uh, we wouldn't normally run this against any opponent, but yeah, 
let's go for it for its, versus the Raiders. I feel like the Chiefs were very comfortable in running that play, and I think that's sort of Andy Reid in general. I don't think well, they ran ever, Rose Bowl parade in a Super Bowl, so I don't yeah. think they're afraid of trickery in a big game. I don't think that Andy views it like that. Like I think he views it if it works, it works. Just because it's not something you've seen before doesn't mean that. I'm willing to run it against you and I wouldn't run it against anyone else. I don't think his brain works like that. I think if he runs it against the Raiders, he would run it against the Bengals or the Bills. All right. Not only that, the Chiefs defense has been outstanding to close the regular season, but it was also the easiest part of their schedule. We had the Broncos twice, the Texans, Seahawks, Raiders. Guys, how much do you trust the defense in the postseason based on what we've seen the last few weeks? Um, Medium? I mean, I look, I'd like to be more firm and say, yes, they're good. The pass rush works. This is here. But I mean, I'm not going to just ignore the fact that part of what and how they got here is playing what ended up being a fairly easy part of their schedule from a quarterback perspective. Now we can say we can put Geno Smith on that list. Geno Smith is going to set the single season franchise record for passing yards. He's going to finish a season completing 70% of their passes. I mean, I think... I think all of those things is going to be like, oh, fine, we could toss him in or we could toss in Stidham, who threw for 360 against the league's best defense the week before. But it's still a weaker opponent. The thing I would say is the thing that Nick has said before, too, which I think is more than fair, which is you can't help the quarterbacks you play. When you play them, did you nominate them? And he dominate them. And the answer to, to the most part has been yes. So I still think most of the top end quarterbacks, Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, who might be available in the postseason, will put up some numbers on this defense, but I trust him a lot more than I did eight weeks ago, which is all that matters going into the postseason. Yeah, I mean, this is this is more common in basketball than it is football because basketball, you'll get blowouts where teams are separated by 30, 40 points in a way that you don't really in football, but it's like the old Gonzaga argument, right? Gonzaga's playing in the West Coast Conference every year. They win 34 games and everyone says, yeah, but who have they played? Well, a bunch of nobodies, right? They played Pepperdine and Pacific, but they beat them by 50 every time they played them. So there is value to be gleaned off of margin of victory. If they're so bad, then go prove it, right? Go prove to me that they're so bad. And with the exception of the Texans game, you let the Broncos back in it. Division games, I know we kind of say that as a cliche, but division games uh, can be weird until they're not, like on Saturday. But I trust them to an extent it's good to know that if they go up against a bad quarterback that they can dominate them. So that that's cool and all, but now the playoffs are here. And unless Lamar Jackson and Tua don't play and the Chiefs end up facing one of those teams who very well could lose in the first round, you're going to be going up against top 10 quarterbacks the rest of the season, right? I mean, look at the quarterbacks yeah. in the AFC. We've talked about it. Josh Allen and Joe Burrow go without saying. With the way that Trevor Lawrence has been playing lately, he's somebody, even despite the fact he didn't play great against Tennessee, that you feel like could be coming on here at the right time in his career. Same with Justin Herbert, right? He didn't even play great football to end the regular season. But if that defense is coming alive, that's someone I really wouldn't want to face in the postseason with that team kind of gelling at the right time. So it's great that they're doing it against these bad teams, but you're not playing any more bad teams. And I'll be very interested to see what it looks like going up against some of the elite offenses. No, but, but the thing that does give me a little bit of confidence is at all three levels, they do have players like good players, right? So on the defensive line, I wasn't joking. earlier. Chris Jones and George Karloftis have a one. Both of them have a sack in six of the last seven games, like in the same game, they have a sack. 
Because Chris Jones, all of his 15 and a half sacks, like 13 of them were in the back half of the season. They were all late. George Karloftis, the same thing of the six hacks he, he has, all late. So it's like those two guys, okay, so now the defensive line is good. Next to the linebacker spot, you have Nick Bolton, who just set a franchise record for tackles in a single season. I get he got an extra game, whatever. He had a ton of tackles. He can make things work. And then in the secondary, Legereus Sneed makes plays. And the way that they're using him makes him even a little bit more dangerous to do those things. And so, I, you know, I believe in them. It's just a matter of, like, how uh, – how far you go beyond there. But I, I believe in them more now than I have at any point of the season. Yeah, I, I guess that's probably the perfect way to put it, is I'm never going to view this team as one of the elite defenses in the NFL, even if like you, you put together a stretch of six games. Until you do it against a great quarterback, I'm not going to really buy it. But the flip side is, how often do great quarterbacks get stymied? How often does a defense shut down Josh Allen or Joe Burrow or Patrick Mahomes, right? We see it all the time where you may hold them below what they typically do. Like holding the Chiefs to 21 points, you'd have to feel really good about knowing that they're liable to put up 28 to 34 every time out. So I guess that's really it. Like we need to, we need to manage our expectations before you see them go against the Bengals or the Bills, or the Chargers. It's not about can you hold them to 13 no. points like you did the Raiders. It's can you hold them to 21? Because if you do, that'll probably be enough for that Chiefs offense. Honestly, 27, I don't care. Against the Bills and the Bengals, if you're not planning on scoring 30, then you're not likely to win that game anyway. And the great the great news ever, and I know we're going to talk about the play, playoff format here in a minute, but the greatest news ever is at least you're not going to have to play both of those guys. So that's going to matter. You're right. You might still see Herbert or Lawrence in that first round, that is a likely scenario. Although I have no idea what to expect in that 6-3 matchup if Lamar Jackson actually ever gets on an NFL field again. But the defense can do some stuff. They're not perfect. I don't think any of us are going to try to come on the show and be like, they're a perfectly executing offense. But at least they're doing the two. They're, they've gotten sacks all year. That's consistent. But over the last month, they're also getting turnovers, which I'll take and spent the entire year talking about how this team couldn't get a single one. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, we're going to move on, guys. The Chiefs officially get the one seed. Bills are the second seed. Bengals are third. Jacksonville four. Chargers five. Ravens six. Dolphins seven. What stands out to us about the AFC playoff field? For starters, a lot of this is dependent on the quarterback. But if Lamar Jackson and um, I guess at this point, it's Scott Thompson, but Teddy Bridgewater, if even if, if Lamar Jackson plays, that's one of the deepest playoff fields I've ever seen. The sixth seed is going to be a former MVP. The five seed is going to be one of the guys who we think is the five most talented quarterbacks in the NFL right now. The fourth seed, you know, like 
The four seed's going to be Trevor Lawrence, the number one overall pick from two years ago. The three is the guy who beat you to go to the Super Bowl and was the number one overall pick in Burrow. Then it's just Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes left. That's nuts. That's a nutty field. But the thing that stands out to me is, considering how deep the AFC playoffs are, it can't line up better for the Chiefs than it did now. Because if Lamar Jackson shows up and does something big, banger, great. He knocks out Joe Burrow. Perfect scenario. You get to take on Ravens, a team that you're definitely better than? Cool, sounds good to me. And I would much rather, as much as Lawrence and Herbert can scare me, I would so much rather face one of those two things, face one of those two quarterbacks versus Burrow or Allen. So to me, the way it's lining up, you can't ask for much better out of the AFC considering the field. Yeah, it's so weird that the AFC West flopped so hard this year, but yet the AFC is about as strong as you possibly could have imagined. Like, we thought there were real contenders in this division. We thought the Raiders, with the addition of Devontae Adams, the Broncos, with the addition of Russell Wilson, were going to be players in the AFC. Now, they're sitting at home, and yet I can't imagine the AFC field being much stronger unless Tua and Lamar were healthier. Because we didn't foresee the fact that the Jaguars would take this jump. Even though the Dolphins had a splashy offseason, I don't think anybody thought that they would have the year that they did, notwithstanding the pretty abysmal close to the year and the injuries to Tua. But yet, I look at this field, and these are all teams. Like, there's not one team in that bunch that I look at and say, they have no shot of advancing through the playoffs. They have no shot at upsetting one of these teams. It is as tough of a field as I could possibly imagine. And even though the Chiefs are sitting there as the one seed, even before the home field advantage stuff and the the you know amendment to playoff seating, even before that, I would have said this is going to be a, a tough of a year for, to be a one seed as any other year because I'm not sure how big the advantages really are with the amount of talent that you have in that conference. And now you take into the account that even if you do get to the conference championship, you're in all likelihood not playing it at Arrowhead. Like the bye week's great, but aside from that. I don't see many advantages that come with being the one seed just because of how strong this field is. This will probably end up, I swear to you, this will end up being a topic, like a longer topic, the week of the divisional round. But right now, knowing that it's a neutral site, five weeks ago, and I don't think our opinions have changed, we said we'd all rather face the Bills than the Bengals. What if it's the Bengals at home or the Bills on a neutral site? Ooh. Then who do you choose? I'll take Bengals at home. That's so much harder, right? The decision is way more 50-50 than just would I rather take on Bills or Bengals at Arrowhead? Because my answer still would have been the Bills to the Arrowhead question. I'm I'm okay. I'm fully on the end of the extreme now. I and I reserve the right to change this in future years, but I won't change it this postseason run. New take. Playing at home means absolutely nothing in the NFL. There. <laughs> nothing. It doesn't mean anything. It's cool for the fans. For the players, I don't think it means anything. I do not think playing at Arrowhead gives the Chiefs a competitive advantage. It's just cool for fans. Really? It, I makes, it, love, it makes it harder for the visiting team. I would ask you to, to show me the evidence that suggests the Chiefs play better at home. They don't. They, they don't play better at home, but I think it's harder for the away team to play. Do you think the Bills and the Bengals would agree with that? I mean, no, because <laughs> of what we've seen in recent, recent uh, history... <laughs> Oh, I just, I mean, yeah, you make a good point. So I guess your answer is Bills on a neutral site then, Nick. Well, no, because I, I still think the Bills are better than the Bengals. 
<laughs> so I'm still taking the Bengals, but I just wanted to make my point about home field advantage being well. Over. And surely it's not going to go four zero with Burrow. Like that's just not going to happen. I'll say this: right? I don't worry about the the no. I, I don't know. I don't want to say for sure. The one thing I do like is at least there's one layup, and unfortunately, it's for the Bills because the seven seed they ain't winning that game. And if you watch any part of that Miami game, they don't have an offense unless Tua isn't. <laughs> it's very bad. Did any of you guys see uh, the video that the NFL put out with Gronk as Bob Ross? No. I literally just saw this today on, it's a TikTok. My friend shared it on their story. He's painting um, the NFC playoff picture. It's actually hilarious. And then he goes, he has all of the teams in the NFC that are making the playoffs. And then he goes, it'll go great with my AFC picture. And all he does is hold up a picture of Patrick Mahomes sitting on a unicorn. (laughs) <laughs> and that's it it's I mean, it's amazing it's like what a what a year it's like we barely made a big deal that Mahomes is getting ready to win his second MVP by the age he's 27 because that's not what's important to Chiefs fans anymore like there he's gotten them to such an expectation level that we're not like we're just like cool MVP bro I mean good <laughs> luck on those in the future you know you'll probably win some more that sounds nice all we care about is Super Bowls Right? Isn't that? Am I the only one who feels like that's how the MVP is being treated? Like neat, but we got other talked about it a lot. I think we talked about it a lot, and I think Chiefs fans, especially, I think the reason why we're not talking about it now is because it's been over for two weeks. Yeah, Yeah. month ago we we were talking about it a lot when when Jalen Hurts was still the betting favorite. We talked about it a lot this year until we didn't need to anymore. When when do we have the conversation of how rarely MVP winning quarterbacks win the Super Bowl? Because it's super rare, just so you know. Didn't he win it the same year no. we won the Super Bowl? Oh. Nope. The year he won MVP, he lost to the Patriots in the AFC oh, title game. The year yes. Lamar Jackson was the MVP, he lost in the divisional round. The year it's just like you're gonna have to go a little ways back before you find a MVP in the regular season and a Super Bowl winner. Was it Brady? <laughs> Uh, How many times has that happened? I shouldn't ask questions. We don't know. I don't have the answer for you. I can tell you that it's an incredibly low percentage. This conversation's come up before the last time Mahomes won the MVP. Well, if anyone can do it, it's him. That's probably a fair argument. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, speaking of odds, Nick, put aside the Vegas odds for a moment. Do you think the Chiefs should be viewed as the Super Bowl favorites? Yeah. I mean, tell me. Well, look, it's not. Philly doesn't earn the right because they've never accomplished anything major. Like they have a similar record to Kansas city and they only have a similar record to Kansas city because they lost their starting quarterback. They have the most complete roster. I would even argue that, but they've never accomplished anything major. So until I watch a team, until I watch Jalen hurts have to play in the playoffs, go up against it, go down and score, whatever your defense gets lit up for a game. Then no, they don't deserve to be the favorite. And if this is as simple as, honestly, who plays less games? The fact that the one, two, three is Chiefs, Bills, then Eagles feels right to me. If the Bills were the number one seed, I'd say they should be the favorite, but the Chiefs are. They're going to get the same advantage of the neutral side game, but with zero risk of losing the first game and a much lower risk of losing the second. That might be a that might be a three-point spread for the second round against the Bengals if that's the way the seeding goes. And the Chiefs might be a seven or eight-point favorite. So to me... Yeah, I I do think that we should view the Chiefs that way. They have an MVP quarterback playing at his best. They have a mediocre defense, which is all we ever ask. 
And the one thing that we'll probably have a conversation later this week, they have the definitive coaching advantage still. And I think that that matters. So I think it's right to view them as the favorite solely because of the first round buy. And not even the first round by, but what the one seed gives you is the fact that you're not going to have to play both Cincinnati and Buffalo, right? That's the biggest part of it. And that if if it goes chalk, then you're going to get a Buffalo-Cincinnati matchup in the divisional round with the Chiefs playing the winner of Jacksonville or the Chargers. Now, if Baltimore wins, then obviously that could move some things around, but that would still eliminate one of your biggest threats in the AFC. So regardless, the Chiefs benefit because of that. With that being said... I think they're, they should be viewed as the favorite, but I don't think they're the best team in the NFL. Like, I think based, like, if, if you're giving me, if you're giving me, like, who I trust the most right now, I think it's the Buffalo Bills. I think they have a better, it, it feels more sustainable because they have done this now for two years in a row, whereas the Chiefs look a lot different than they did a season ago. And I know that the season-long numbers are great, but there's still part of me that says in the two biggest games of the year, the two games you absolutely had circled on your schedule, you didn't get a win. Now you lost them by a field goal. So you take that into account and you know that single game head-to-heads can be unreliable if you're trying to extrapolate it out for larger sample sizes. But there is just something about the firepower, the explosiveness that those two teams have that the Chiefs really don't this year that scares me a little bit. So I still think the Chiefs have better odds of making it to the Super Bowl, but that's only because of the circumstances. I think if you're comparing those three teams and just giving me the roster, giving me the resumes, I'm taking the Bills over them and with the Bengals, it's damn close too. Well, and that's everyone else's argument. They're like, how can you be considered the best team when you lost to your two biggest competitors? And I don't love that. Um, it's tough to How much, an answer for that. You know? I know, yeah, the, because I do like, think we are, in my bias opinion, I do feel like we are the best team, but we haven't beaten the other best team, so you can't really I, argue much. I know strength of schedule at the end of this thing is going to shake itself out to be much easier than Kansas City's original preseason prediction, which was they had the toughest schedule in the NFL going into the year, and playing the Raiders, playing Denver four times is going to drag that number all the way down. But do you want to know who has more wins against playoff teams than anyone in the NFL this year? It's the Chiefs. So I don't care that they lost a couple of games to their two biggest competitors. They have double the amount of wins against playoff teams than the Bills. So it's like the Bills lost to playoff teams too. The Chiefs beat the Jags. They're a playoff team. Okay, but dude, come on. We're not comparing the Jags. to. We're we're talking about winning. No, 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 no. I know, I know. Winning the Super Bowl. But I just think when you like you look at a schedule that ended up being 14 and three and you look at all the playoff teams that they played, San Francisco, Jacksonville, Buffalo, Cincinnati, go through their whole schedule. The fact that they had a 750 winning percentage is enough to make me not be like, oh, no. that's why they're the favorite. I'm not saying they're way better than those teams, but this is why they deserve to be the favorite. They took on a heavy playoff schedule field and they won a bunch of those games. Yeah, they lost a couple. But so did Cincinnati, so did Buffalo against other playoff teams. They got the Chiefs in that one, no doubt, that matters. But they lost other playoff teams just like Kansas City did. And I think what that that speaks to the first round bye because yeah. you would have to say, okay, well, if the Bills play the Chiefs, I would be scared about that game. If the Bengals play the Chiefs, I would be scared about that game. The beautiful thing is 
the Bengals might lose to the Ravens if Lamar Jackson comes back. The, the Bills could lose to the Bengals in the divisional round. Like, there's no guarantee that one of those teams is going to make it there, even though if you're sitting here today, you would obviously take those two yeah. over the rest of the field to make it to the AFC championship game. So, yeah, I don't really worry about the Chiefs losing to the Jaguars in the divisional round. But if you're telling me it's one game, winner-take-all, AFC championship game, that's the part that scares me. Because all I'm viewing it through is one game. When I know in reality that's not how odds work. You have to make it to that game, and the Chiefs have an exponentially higher chance of doing that than those other two teams do. How much of what's happened in the last week do we think is going to motivate the Bills? I mean, everyone in America wants them to win the Super Bowl now. And I think that has been the case for the past few years, but it's even more so now. And I'm wondering how that momentum is going to carry them through the playoffs. I mean, I look, they, they returned two kickoffs for touchdown today. Certainly felt like that first one was behind him. They're going to be everyone's darling. But yeah. the Chiefs were already hated anyway. And you know how I know the Chiefs are hated? That they're being, un like, there's times to blame teams for reasons, like showboating, right? Doing the ring around the rosy stuff that we joked about, doing snow globe. But the... Like, there are fans who are legitimately taking to social media and be like, screw the Chiefs in their stolen thing. I'm like, the hell the Chiefs do? They played all their games. They didn't steal anything. Yeah. All they did was play their schedule. And by the way, it wouldn't matter how you played it out. If you've done win percentage, it was the Chiefs. If you did it this way, it's the Chiefs. The Chiefs didn't do anything. And people are legitimately mad at them for still being the number one seed because they're hated. So, I yeah, I think that there's probably something to maybe this is a blessed year for the Bills. But in the end, they're still going to need Josh Allen to play well. Like, I don't think it's just going to, like, roll up that easy for them. If they win it, people will feel that way. But I don't know if that gives them an actual advantage versus just a perceived one. Yeah, I think it's like the Bengals fans, they have a right to be. A, if I was a Bengals fan, I would be pissed off and I wouldn't get over it either. Because that is, if you saw the report that came out from Mike Florio over the weekend where they're saying the, the Bengals fans or the Bengals team was surprised that Buffalo got on the plane. Like when they canceled that game on Monday night, they thought that they'd play Tuesday. They'd come back and play Tuesday. And so when they heard that the Bills got on the team plane and flew home, they were like, wait, like what's going on? I thought we were still going to play this game tomorrow. There were some guys said that they thought the game was going to start 10 minutes later. Like they thought they were still going to play the game that night. So the idea that both sides came together and were like, no, we don't have to play this game. We're in this together is not necessarily the case. So you understand why guys like Joe Mixon maybe are a little bit frustrated with the situation that they're in. So I, if, I'm a, if, I'm, if I'm a Bengals fan, I am still pissed. The Bills really don't have anything. It's a tricky situation, right? You can be upset, but you also have to realize like at some point there are going to be consequences handed out to someone. And we saw the consequences kind of being even, evenly spread out amongst all the contenders in the AFC. But you're the Bills. I don't really know what you can complain about at this point because this is just the, the circumstances that, that came with what was a really uh, unprecedented situation. I, I am going to have to know why you said circumstances like Brian Kelly talking about his family. But other than that, there was a my, little twang my, there. My, my family. <laughs> I think I was, I think I was, uh, I was in between saying circumstances. And in, in incidents. So it was like, hey, it was the combination of the like, AI sound. That's what it's, it sounded like Brian Kelly's <laughs> Bayou accent threw me off. Hoping, I was kind of hoping nobody would say anything about that. I, I, I was like, wait, what? Um, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes out of nowhere, I'll get this weird country twang. It's we, it's wild. Well, at least you grew up in like Springfield. So there's some people with a Southern accent that way. I grew up in Topeka, Kansas. 
<laughs> There's not as many Southern accents in Topeka. Not exactly a bustling metropolitan area, Cody. I would expect you to own at least one pair of cowboy boots, though, Nick. I did when I was a kid. Okay. Yeah. Bring, bring it back. Not okay. too late. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. I think you're allowed to have a twang in Topeka for sure. For sure. Okay, guys. Kadarius Tony had his second solid performance in a row on Saturday, scored two touchdowns, only one counted. Um, Brett Veach said a month from now, he will be the top receiver for the Chiefs. Um, stats weren't crazy, but solid outing. How big of a factor do we think he will be for the Chiefs in the playoffs? Um, okay, I think it's gadgety. I, I want to go as far as be like, he's the guy, and in two weeks he's going to be the best wide receiver. But let's let's temper that at least a little bit. Because for him, the biggest question still, honestly, at this point for me, is health. He had trouble staying healthy in New York. He's had trouble staying healthy in Kansas City. Can you stay on the field for an entire playoff run? Like, it's fast. It's physical. It plays different than in any other stretch. And until I'm willing or able to see that, I'm only willing to go so far. But, man, he – like. I, this is the the fun part about all sports. You can tell when people are like different level of athletes. It doesn't mean they're going to be a different level of player, but Tony's a different level athlete. He's a first round caliber athlete. It's so obvious. He moves different on that play when it looks like he's going to break his own ankle to break somebody else's. You're like, yeah, okay. He moves a little bit better than others. But I think the advantage is, is that you will always find, and this is why he'll matter in the playoffs a little. Andy will always find a reason to just try to get him the ball to see what happens. It might be a loss of two, and it might be a gain of 35, but they'll throw him the ball and just take the chance. I think that for sure we know with Tony. Yeah, you know, I don't I don't know if I necessarily view him as as gadgety, maybe, maybe in a vacuum for this season because he doesn't know much of the playbook, and that's the easiest way to deploy him this year. So I know that he has a diverse skill set, which is why they want to use him behind the line of scrimmage and get him involved in the run game. But I will say this. When Lewis Riddick made the comment that Caleb mentioned that uh, when he was talking to Brett Veach last week, I think the exact comment was that he said he wouldn't be shocked if he were the best receiver on this team a month from now. What that is, is Brett Veach telling you, hey, don't be surprised if we don't re-sign Juju Smith-Schuster in the offseason. Because I will tell you this, I don't know that he's the best receiver or that he will be the best receiver a month from now. I will tell you this right now. He already has shown you that he is more likely to become a number one in this offense than Juju is. We are through the regular season. Juju had a very productive season. He was short of 1,000 yards, got injured, missed a game, whatever. I'm not even paying attention to the production. He had like 933 on 
70 some yeah, sure. catches. Juju is not a number one wide receiver. I don't think Juju will be a number one wide receiver, which is why the Chiefs got him for as little as they did this offseason. And it's why the Steelers were okay with letting him go, knowing who they had on the roster and knowing that they could draft another guy. Juju's really good. Um, you can use him in a lot of different ways. But the Chiefs are basically employing him like a second tight end. He is a possession receiver going across the middle. But he can't do physically some of the things that Kadarius Tony's already shown you he can do. With the sideline catches, with the circus grabs, the ability to make guys miss, the ability to change directions, that lateral quickness. Tony is a freak athlete, and he has some legit ball skills that we've seen a couple of times where Mahomes has just sort of chucked the ball up to him, and he's making those toe taps on the sideline. That, to me, is what I look for when, I'm, when we're talking about the elite receivers, when we're talking about the number ones. That's who Tony is. That's independent of the rest of the offense, where I don't think Juju is necessarily like that. So do I think he's going to be a number one this year? No. I do think he'll make an impact in the postseason. But I think that is Brett Veach sort of priming you for the fact that when Juju comes back asking for $21, $22, 23000000 million in the offseason and the Chiefs don't give it to him, it's because they think there's a guy on the roster who could give them similar production. The one thing I'll say with Tony, especially for this season, is like I made you handicap right now, Nick. Who is, who are the most who are the three most likely players on the Chiefs roster to get you a seventy yard touchdown, like a game changing touchdown? Tony gets drafted first overall. Mm, I would still say Justin Watson. Yep, Justin Watson. That's Justin such Watson. a it's such a weird answer. He's like two hundred ninety yards on the season, but somehow he's the most likely because they throw to him deep. I get it. But he's ahead of McColl in that regards, based on the way he's been played the last three years. He's definitely ahead of Juju. Travis gets him 25, 30 yards at a time. Hell, I might take Jarek McKinnon second. I don't know, whatever. But but he's on the list. He's very quickly on the list. Because they, you know what it is? MVS should be an answer to this question. This is what's so screwed up. But MVS, to this point, I think the thing I didn't realize about him that, that bothers me and bothers, and, and looking back, because I went back through and read some stuff on him in his Packers days. He doesn't play like a big wide receiver. He sure is big, Nick, but he doesn't play that way. Kayla, like there was two times he had a chance to just like, go take the ball. You're bigger than everyone. You're 6'4". Like, go be big. No, he doesn't do that. Kadarius Tony, he plays big, doesn't he? A little bit of that Tyreek where... Well, he's just a better he athlete. He's just a... Yeah. You know, MBS is like a track star, right? He's got straight line yeah. speed. He's explosive in that he accelerates quickly. He's not explosive in that he's going to high point the ball. He's not explosive in that he's got great ball skills and he can just sort of jump up and win those 50-50 balls. Like, Kadarius has that. It just looks, he just, he's the most athletic wide receiver. So I guess I wouldn't be shocked if at some point he's our number one wide receiver, but I'm still surprised the Giants would not even try to make it work. They didn't even play him. They're just like, eh, we'll try to, we're not going to make that work. We'll see you later. Okay, now I'm really sad because I didn't know it was going to come down between Tony and Juju. I love Juju. Yeah, I, I, look, too, I yeah. hope it's both. Well, I mean, yeah, but I think to that point, if if Juju is going to try and capitalize on this being a weak yeah. wide receiver market, I don't think a, I don't think that a franchise in the position that the Chiefs are in, with you know really good culture, really good roster. I don't think you allow a player to leverage the market against you that forces you to hand him, 
you know, a top yeah. 10 contract at his position if he's not ever going to give you top 10 production. Especially if you can get three years of Kadarius Tony. Just so you know, it's $3.5 million for the next two years. And if you wanted to pick up a third-year option, it'd be 12. So you can have Kadarius Tony for three years and $15.5 million if you want to look at it that way. Yeah. I hope there's a way to keep both. There might be, but I don't know, man. If I were the Chiefs, I'd come into this year where I let go of a number one wide receiver in the NFL and it didn't even impact my offense and be like, mm, we'll be fine. <laughs> Good point. All right, guys. Are we ready for our winners and losers? I think so. Who's going first? Um, you know what? I'm going to go first because neither of them are from the Chiefs game. There were tons oh. of winners for the Chiefs game, tons of losers uh, in the Chiefs game, mostly on the Raiders side, pretty much none on the Chiefs side. But I've decided, because it's the last week of the season, I'm going to take this outside the Chiefs game for my winners and my losers. All winners, right. first off, the aforementioned Joe Mixon, who pulled an actual coin out of his sock after scoring a touchdown day to flip it, just to say fuck you to the people in New York, who are going to fine him for it. The same people who they thought screwed them over are going to hand him a $15,000 fine. fine for pulling an actual coin out of his pocket. But it was a cool moment, and it was kind of fun. So I think that when we talk about that part, I really like um, that part for the winner. So I'm going to go Joe Mixon. I know, and it still kind of feels like at times that maybe their game against Buffalo should be neutral site, but I understand that they've played an equal number of games and the Bills have more wins. Just sucks for Cincinnati because they were playing well and never had a chance to show it, but that was a good show up to the NFL by Joe Mixon. Uh, I'm going to give my winner to John Brown for a similar reason. I didn't know that John Brown was still playing football for the Buffalo Bills. I don't know if you guys were aware of this, but he caught uh, maybe the best catch of the day on Sunday. Yeah. I mean, that was like Willie Mays center field. Just the ability for him to just go in a full out sprint and at the perfect time, full extension, dive for the ball, get the touchdown. It was essentially the game sealer for the Bills against the Patriots, but the awareness for a guy that has been on the practice squad, I think this year for Buffalo. So he gets elevated, right? Not a full-time member of the roster, the active roster. The dude has the awareness to give the touchdown ball to the trainer who gave DeMar Hamlin CPR, which is a, it's a great gesture, but the, the awareness for a guy to come up and be like, okay, wait a minute, let me find this guy. There he is. Boom. Give it to him. Like he could have... That was a huge yeah. catch for John Brown, who is like trying to just like salvage what's left of his career and continue to, to stay on a roster. So that was a big moment in a, in a two seed clinching game, right? That where maybe you'd say, okay, let me, let me go ahead and keep this one for myself. The awareness to go and give it to the guy who may have saved DeMar Hamlin's life on Monday Night Football, that's, that's primo stuff from John Brown. Okay, my winner, <clears throat> winners, is just... The Chiefs team as a whole, that game Saturday, it was as clean as those white unis. Some honorable mentions, the snow globe, obviously. That will be on the internet forever. Uh, Justin Watson, one reception for 67 yards, most yards by anyone on the team. Um, Chris Jones, two and a half sacks. And Mr. Redemption, you guys, my guy, Harrison Bucker, one of one on uh, field goals, four for four on extra points. So proud of him. Can we all agree that the white on white is their best look? It's their best look. Looked so good. I'm a white on red guy, but I can go for some white on white. Just as long as everyone agrees red on red is their worst look, then we're fine here. No worries. 
Oh, I kind of like the red on red. Yeah, so do I. So <laughs> but rank them. Rank them in order. Do you like the red on red better than the they're white on white? No, they're all one. That's like telling me to rank my children. <laughs> you don't have children. I'll go first on the losers. Possible. I'll go first on the losers. It's Houston Texans fans. It's not Lovey Smith who decided to go for two to give them the win that eventually propelled them all the way down to the number two overall pick because that's Lovey's revenge. They're never going to let Lovey Smith keep that job. So rather than do something good for the franchise, which is, I don't want, I don't know, have the number one overall pick when you have one of the worst quarterback situations in the NFL in what is a very deep quarterback draft class. But, but Texans fans, damn, I know you almost can't go into a locker room and be like, hey guys, you got to lose today. We need the number one overall pick. And I know a lot of you aren't going to be here, but for those who are, don't you want a capable NFL quarterback? Because you got to say that with Davis Mills still taking the practice reps. But Texans fans lost today. Their team won. The Chicago Bears are the number one overall pick. And that is fantastic news for them. But that's the worst news if I were a Texans fan. No, no, wrong. First off, you're a hater and you're a loser. And you're (laughs) not a football guy for saying that you wish they would have lost the game. Um, here's the thing, man. The Bears don't need a quarterback, so it doesn't change anything. The Bears aren't trapped. They got Justin Fields. They're not going to trade that pick to whoever does need a quarterback. No, be, no, they're not. They're going to take Will Anderson, who is worthy of being the number one overall pick. They'll, they, they need help defensively. They'll just draft the top pass rusher, which is Will Anderson out of Alabama, and they'll just stick there. Unless the Texans are the team, because look at the two teams behind them, Houston and Seattle are both probably in the mix for quarterbacks. Maybe Seattle will try to move. Will try to move on. I'm telling you right now, sitting there at number two, you're perfectly fine. Take your pick of Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud and go home. You'll be happy. It is. It. it is absolutely a bad decision if if the Bears just take Will Anderson because you should trade a two, three, four, whatever for the long term of your franchise. It makes way more sense. The last team to trade from one down. On average, they get two firsts, two seconds, and two thirds. Trade it. If all you want is Will Anderson, I'm sure he's great. But you're going to need more than one great player to make your team great. So to me, it's like, uh, I don't know. If I were Houston, I I would have. If I were a Texas fan, I just want to lose. You're a hater, man. Maybe. <laughs> they won, they won three. They won three freaking games this year, and you're sitting there saying they should have won two. <laughs> if, if it makes you feel any better, the exact tweet I sent out was haters. Or I said idiots, right? And the very first text I got to somebody about, oh, like, you know, you're, is from a guest on our show in Kansas City, Vinny Pasquantino, comes on as our NFL insider. He's like, could not disagree more. You are wrong. So you're not the first person to tell me I'm wrong today, Nick. Vinny already told me that. Great minds. Am I up? Oh, Who's your uh, loser? It's either Nick, Nick or Ken. Nick. Okay, yeah, okay. Nick's up. Uh, my loser is the Cincinnati Bengals. Like This is a team that actually lost, not one that actually won in that they won a football game, gave their fans something to root about. The Bengals came out on the short end of the stick with the resolution that, that was passed on Friday. They're the only team that gets to have complaints today. They won their division resoundingly with uh, a pretty thorough dominating victory over the Ravens. Now, the Ravens didn't have Lamar Jackson, but that's what you do against bad teams. We've already covered that in this episode. And yet, still, the team that was leading the Bills in the first half has virtually nothing to show for the fact that they were the hottest team in football the last two months of the year. I get it. There was never going to be a perfect solution for trying to figure out to do with that Monday night football game. But if I'm the Bengals, I'm, the, I'm sitting here feeling like I got shortchanged. I'm feeling like we got the short end of the stick and everybody else benefited in a way that we didn't. So 
You want to talk about a fan base that has every right to be salty on Monday morning? It is the Cincinnati Bengals. Speaking of salty fan bases, uh, my loser, going to take it back to the Chiefs game, is the Raiders. This was a home game for the Chiefs. There were more Chiefs fans there than Raiders fans. You see the image of that Raiders fan holding up a sign, we deserve better. I don't know how much better it's going to get next year. The Raiders are my losers. They won my in the favorite. game. They're, they or they lost in the game. They're losing in life. <laughs> how about how about that quote? <laughs> in fairness, she's right. How about the quote from the owner before, like, "Hey, I don't like it so much that a bunch of opposing fans show up." I'm like, "You moved your team away from all your fans, what? and you put it in the most popular travel destination in the country. What did you think was going to happen?" You just thought a bunch of people, you, you thought moving away from all your fans and then putting it in a city where everyone's like, I'd like to go to there, was not going to bring in opposing fan bases. Yeah, the Raiders are losers. They're the worst. All right. And on that note, any final thoughts, guys? No, I'm really looking forward to the postseason. Obviously, we'll have some episodes next week where we're kind of guessing who they might face. But I don't think going into the year, I thought the Chiefs were going to finish 14 and three and have a bye, even if that game might end up being a neutral site in the AFC title game. Uh, from a regular season perspective, they outperformed expectation. I know that's hard to imagine considering how high the expectations were, but they outperformed it. Well said, Cody. All right. That's going to do it for us on It's Always Game Day in Kansas City. He is Cody Tapp. That is Nick Schwartz. I'm Kayla Kinnaram. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. And we will be back with you all on Wednesday. 